Good morning and welcome to the Presbyterian Church of the Covenant. My name is Reverend Jason Warren Griffiths. I'm really glad each of you is here to join us. Uh, it's the podcast recording for March 14th, 2021. It's the fourth week of Lent. Uh, our journey towards Resurrection Sunday continues. Our worship, our fearful, our fearless worship leader Danny is feeling a little under the weather. So the worship band is being headed up by none other than Jeff, a child of this place, right? He grew up around here. I like that Jeff guy, huh? Don't you like he's, he's cut his hair, so I don't know. I don't know if he's as strong. That's a Samson reference. Um, I got a couple announcements for us. One of them is Wednesday. This Wednesday is St. Patrick's Day. And, you know, and the, there's a U2 song he covers a Beatles song and he says, somebody stole, yeah, Charles Manson stole this song from the Beatles. I'm stealing it back. Uh, beer uh, has stolen St. Patrick's Day and I would love to steal it back as the church because St. Patrick, Patrick was the uh, greatest missionary, I think, other than Paul, he, Paul the Apostle. And he was the first and yeah, he was he was the first to realize that oftentimes community comes before the gospel. And the way he brought the gospel to Ireland was he, would, he noticed he could speak pretty well. And then he would grab a, a chef like Malia, you know, and grab a baker like Sharon. And then he'd grab like a really cool guy like Rob and Mike, probably those two guys, you know. And they would move outside of a little town where the people were already kind of living. And us, like the people I just named, would build a fence around that wall, uh, 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 like a gate around the area. And we would make a pact um, as followers of Jesus. Hey, let's play kingdom of God on earth here. Let's pretend like we're in heaven, but on earth. And... Mike knows how to fix stuff. I don't know how to fix stuff. Mike would come over and fix stuff. You know, uh, Rob knows how to be cool. I don't know how to be cool. He would hang out and just be cool. You know, I don't know how to cook. I would probably starve. I would probably starve if it wasn't for Malia. And baking, what, who, you know, that's the, that's the star of the whole team. But after a while, um, the people within the fence would start asking, why do those people who have seemingly nothing in common treat each other with so much love, respect, and honor? And it would spill out. And after a little bit, that whole town would know about the saving grace of Jesus the Christ. And then he did it again. And he did, he, he did it like four or five times moving around Ireland. But this time he picked different people, recent converts, and he said, let's go to another town. And so he played kingdom of God all over the place in Ireland. And the uh, great mission model. Yeah, I don't know, that's a sermon. I guess we can go home. What, uh, what do you think of that? Okay. <laughs> yeah, somebody's a little too anxious. I think that guy off the island. Um, and then uh, also on St. Patrick's Day, it's a monumental day. Yesterday was the day that our session gathered you remember that Erlinda? we gathered in the sanctuary with the with our team 
and uh, we voted to suspend gathering inside small groups, uh, large groups. So it's been a year as of yesterday. Um, and just props once again. Pause for a second and round of applause. I don't know. You can't really pause in your car and honk, I guess, uh, for our sound team. You know, that first, it's crazy. Do you remember that first, it was a Friday. It was Friday the 13th. And then that Saturday, I was over at Steve Atkins' house talking into a, a microphone. And we, we posted that as our first, you know, uh, podcast. And then from then on, we've had the podcast and then we moved in to the drive-in and we did the drive-in movies over the summer. I don't know. It's kind of a cause of, it's mournful celebration, right? This is unique in that we follow a suffering, a suffering Lord, a suffering Savior, and he can uniquely meet us in this definite time of, huge successes and huge things to be celebrated, but also some deep, deep longings and pains of missing hugging each other. So I don't know if that's enough, but all that to say, on Wednesday, we're f- having our first Bible study in the Fellowship Hall, a men's Bible, the men's Bible study uh, day timers. And it's going to be mixed. You know, some people are, are still not very comfortable, so that we're going to have like a laptop so they can, you know, zoom in. But uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited that things are starting to lift and we're starting to look towards the days where we can hug and be together again. Um, that's enough of me. Let's hear from somebody else. Kathy Rasmussen, I, I believe you're telling us about 60 years of women's Bible study. Hello. I am here to talk about how the women's Bible study started here at PCC. So on January, 19, January 9th, 1961, Several women from the church met at the home of Mrs. John McMillan to discuss the formation of a women's association. The purpose of this group was to acquaint women with the work of the church, to create a wider fellowship among the women, and to unite them through study, prayer, and service with fellow Christians everywhere. In looking through every early covenant calls and annual reports, it appears this is how the first women Bible studies were started. They met once a month for Bible study. In 1965, the Women's Associated Association reported that there were five circles of women meeting in homes for the study of the Book of Galatians. This group later became the Presbyterian Women and still convenes once a month for Bible study. Nora Anderson has been leading this group for a number of years. Sensing a need for a weekly women's Bible study, the Women's Bible Fellowship was formed in January 1986. The first meeting was held at the home of Bruce and Virginia Curley, and after that, Emmeline Mantle led the studies in a classroom every Thursday morning. Thus, the Thursday morning Bible study group was started. There were about 28 ladies attending. In 1990, after the death of Emmeline Mantle, Virginia Curley was asked to lead this group. She led the group for about 14 years. And after Virginia Curley left PC in 2004, Susan White facilitated the Thursday morning study and is still leading today. 
with Pat Swinenson and later Nancy Farmer playing the piano. This group sang a hymn, prayed, sharing needs and praises, and then with coffee and a snack, they discussed their current Bible study. Susan White has always been committed to study the books of the Bible using the Life Change series. Over the years, they have studied the books of Hebrews, Acts, 1st and 2nd Peter, Jude, the Gospel of John, the books of Exodus, Mark, to name a few. This group also has enjoyed learning about the different women mentioned in the Bible, such as Sarah, Ruth, Esther, Rehab, and Mary, and also a deeper understanding of the Beatitudes in the Apostles' Creed. Not only did they study God's Word, they also enjoyed monthly lunches out and field trips to Descanso Gardens, Running Springs, and even Big Bear. Next week, I'll talk about another women's Bible study group that started in 1997 and give you an update of what is currently happening with these two groups now. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, please stand if you're able for this morning's call to worship. It's Psalm 107, verses 17 through 22 in the Passion Translation. Some of us were such fools, bringing on ourselves sorrow and suffering, all because of our sins, sick and feeble, unable to stand the sight of food, we drew near to the gates of death. Then we cried out, Lord, help us, rescue us, and he did. God spoke the words, be healed, and we were healed, delivered from death's door. So lift your hands and give thanks to God for his marvelous kindness and for his miracles of mercy for those he loves. Bring your praise as an offering and your thanks as a sacrifice as you sing your story of miracles with a joyful song. Let us stand and sing, or remain standing and sing, To God Be the Glory as found on the back of your order of worship. Good morning. Good morning. We have um, the great opportunity to sing um, for praising our Lord in a mighty way. We have a very nice rendition of our congregation singing this. And you decided to follow me back then. And we have two pitch races for people who like to go higher. And at the very end, after the last chorus, we will have our men.
Good morning. First, I just wanna thank you all for who have donated to our love bags. Um, we can't wait to start filling those, so keep those donations coming. Um, we will be accepting those through the end of the month. Um, and then I have one more ask of you, uh, if you could. We are in need of candy. Uh, we will be hosting an Easter egg hunt this year, and so we need candy to fill the plastic eggs. So if you could do that as well, we'd really appreciate it. For today's message, for most of the U.S., twice a year, we do a little time travel. In the fall, the clocks move back one hour. That means when it's two o'clock, it suddenly becomes one. In the spring, the clocks move forward one hour. So if it's two o'clock, the time suddenly changes to three. We call this daylight saving time. It was a system that was created to help farmers have more sunlight during the day to get their work done. So what we are used to seeing sometimes in our classrooms, not all classrooms, especially our virtual classrooms this year, we have a clock with hands. <laughs> and so that's what they used as a system to see what time it was. And you would have to physically change the clock. To record the time change, you had to, again, go up physically, change the clock, and do it yourself. If you forgot to, it would throw your whole day off. You would get to school an hour late, or maybe an hour early. Allow all of your appointments would be thrown off until you remember to go in and change your clocks. But now, we have cell phones. <laughs> and some of you may still have clocks like that in your house, ones that you have to digitally remove. But most of us also have our cell phones. Cell phones and certain digital clocks know when daylight savings begins and ends, and they change their time automatically. There's no need for you to do anything. It takes care of itself, no worries. Many of us worry about time. We have so much to do in a day. School, homework, sports, more homework, family responsibilities, even more homework. Sometimes it can seem like there isn't enough time in the day. But God wants our attitude to be like those cell phones and daylight saving time. It's nothing to worry about. God has got everything under control he has given us enough time to do all that we need to do. We just need to love him and trust him. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to us as well. No need to worry, no need to fret. God's got it all taken care of automatically, like our cell phones, giving us one more hour in the day or one less. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Be with us as we head back into our classrooms and draw closer to you. We pray this all in your precious name. At this time, all children and youth are dismissed to Sunday school. Even as we praise God and encounter the Lord's Spirit during our gathering, we realize that there are impediments that keep us from our best desires to worship God fully. God loves us enough to call us to confess whatever gets in the way of us having a good relationship with the one and only triune God. With that in mind, let us confess our sins against God and neighbor together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, 
and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from the past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which can be changed. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Know that in Jesus Christ we are forgiven. mistakes but you have new mercies for me every day your love never fails you stay the same through the ages your love never changes there may be pain in the night but joy comes in the morning
together for my good You made all things work together for my good You made all things work together for my good You made all things work together for my good Work together for my good You made all things Work together for my good You stay the same through the ages Your love never changes There may be pain in the night Joy comes in the morning And when the oceans range I don't have to be afraid Because I know that you love me God's love never fails, right? I can sing that forever. Thank you, Jeff. That's so wonderful. It's so fun to be here. Thank you, everybody, for showing up. I forgot to say that at the beginning, too. Uh, this is really a, a gift. Um, we're, we're preaching on John 3.16. So this stuff pretty much preaches itself, and you've probably heard every sermon there ever has been on this thing. But I got some, I got some insight. I got some, I got some little nuggets for you. And so I'm really glad. First is, um, this is actually a discussion with Jesus Christ and a guy named Nicodemus. Right? Let's look at that. Let's look at the beginning of John chapter 3. Yeah, right there. Nicodemus. Um. And then the second is um, you kind of have to know the first part of the discussion before you get to this verse that kind of stands by itself, right? How many in here have memorized John 3.16? Yeah, honk your horn, honk your horn. Even if you haven't, honk your horn. That's feeling good, feeling good. Uh, Right? For God so loved. It's like the Flintstones. You know, they said it's like it's like it's part of our growing up. Everyone in here. It's. uh, But I never realized that we're going to get to heaven and Nicodemus is going to be like, hey, you remember that that verse that blew up and memorized? That was to me. You know, that was to me, man. Like, I don't know. It's part of this conversation with this guy. It's a real like it, it happened. John is writing it and it's. I love John's style, right? Um, the second thing that it is, so it's, a, you got to know the first part, okay? Um, and the first part, I'll only read just a couple of verses, right, like towards the beginning, where Nicodemus is asking, 
like, how am I supposed to be born again? That doesn't make any sense. And so then in verse 5, he says this. Jesus answered very, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of, of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Two things pop out at the page from this first part that never, it never comes to my mind. And I don't, I don't know if I'm the only one, but... John 3.16, it kind of stands by itself, so nothing really comes to mind. But the early, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he, he first, insert, have you been around here a while? Have you ever met me? My name is Jason Warren Griffiths. If you were to say, what do I like to preach about the most, what would you say? Jesus is a good one. Uh, I, like to, I like to preach a lot about the kingdom of God. Just because I grew up in the church and I never even heard one sermon on the kingdom of God. I wasn't 25 until I heard that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God more than anything else in the Bible. More than anything else. And the next closest thing is money. And it's not even half as many times as he talks about the kingdom of God. What is this surprising? Why is this surprising to me then? Because Matthew and Mark and Luke actually have kingdom of God all over the place. This is very rare in the Gospel of John to hear the kingdom of God. So that's the first kind of thing that surprises me. And just for a refresher, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God because to him, that was the good news. If you look at the beginning of Mark, Jesus says, repent and believe the good news, euangelio. And what's the good news? from the good news because Jesus himself is the gospel right amen okay but what's the gospel according to the gospel the gospel according to the gospel is the kingdom of God he says repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand it's here what does that mean that means you make me the king of your life and the kingdom triumphant the kingdom eternal starts that moment that's the gospel you make, the Jesus, you make Jesus the Lord of your life. He sets you free from listening to all the negative voices. Who's our king? Starts with a J, ends with an Jesus. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus, Jesus right? King Jesus is, is, is not the president of the United States. Not your boss. Not even your parents. Your king is Jesus. And I didn't, know, I didn't know that was firmly linked with John 3.16 until I studied for this morning's sermon. And the second thing that surprised me about this first conversation that you need to know before you, we get into our text this morning is that second part. He mentions the kingdom of God, then what else does he mention to Nicodemus? He says you need to be born from above. And Nicodemus says, what does that mean? And he says, you're thinking too laterally. 
You need to be born of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to understanding John 3.16. And I never, this is crazy, right? I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to know this stuff. So if you don't know this, I'm, I'm surprised like you. Anywho, so what, what does that mean? Does anybody know? I don't know if I even asked a question. But <laughs> what does that mean that the Spirit is essential to understanding John 3.16? He's talking about Nicodemus and he's, he's very reformed in this moment. Meaning, you can't get anything you can't make any decisions. You can't. God breathes his life via the Ruach, that Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters at the beginning. Jesus, uh, John's all about throwing it back to the Old Testament. John's all about knowing your Jewish history. God's, God's the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And it's always intertwined when John's talking. And John's recording this Jesus moment, talking to Nicodemus and saying, the Holy Spirit actually sets the stage for all of this. A few people that are out here, I can only see masks and confusion. But let's get to our text. Okay, Amy, you still awake? I'm so glad you're here. I didn't get to say hey to you this morning. I'm glad you're here. All right. What am I saying? We're reading. John, and we're going to start in verse 14 and end in verse 21. Okay? Hold on to your hats and glasses because there's a lot here. I've got to put this down too. Very truly, nope, that's 11. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then if you know it, say it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who, who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whew! Okay. Verses 14 and 15, he starts with an Old Testament reference, right? It's in the background of this text all coming up to John 3:16 but 14 and 15 what is he talking about he's talking about Moses raising up the serpent in the desert remember and healing 
And that still remains, I think that's Red Cross or, is that Red Cross or just medical? You have that somewhere on your nurse's uniform? Mike? That's medical, medical. Anywho, so he's referring to Moses raising up the staff, right? And healing folk. But he's also pointing ahead to what? His crucifixion. His death. Luther says in the, of this text, this shows that Jesus is putting down pretty much an anchor in the Old Testament, reminding everyone that all of the First Testament was pointing to him. And then we come to our text. For God so loved the world. He loved the world. God's love is deep and it's wide. Luther, Luther has a, uh, Luther has a quote on this. He was, he, congregants were coming to him and asking, you know, how do I know if I'm elected? How do I know if I'm saved? How do I know? He said this. You say, yes, I would gladly believe it if I were like St. Peter and St. Paul and others who are pious and holy. But I am too great a sinner, and who knows whether I am predestined? Answer, look at these words. Look at these words. What do they say? And of whom do they speak? For God so loved the world, and that, and that whosoever believeth on him. Now, the world is not simply St. Peter and St. Paul but the entire human race taken collectively. And here no one is excluded. God's Son was given for all. All are asked to believe. All who believe shall not be lost. That's a whole lot of alls. But this is where it gets good. It says this. This is Luther. Take hold of your nose. <laughs> take hold of your nose I, I asked uh, Elizabeth what's that in German and she said or so, I don't remember what it was but it was something like not, at the end it was not a lot it was sounding like uh, nasal you know whatever and I asked her is that a saying and she said I don't think so I don't think that's a saying but Luther says that like, I, I go, take hold of your nose search in your bosom whether you are not also a person that is a piece of the world. And do you belong to the number which the word whosoever embraces as well as others? If you and I are not to take this comfort to ourselves, then these words must be spoken falsely and in vain. Grab hold of your nose. Everybody grab hold of your nose. I know it's sort of a mess. Grab hold of your nose. Are you not a piece of the whole world? Like... Like you can almost like Luther getting angry, like this huge, this huge guy. Because by the end, he weighed like four hundred pounds. He was a big dude, and he was, he's he's like, touch your face, touch your face. You know, just remind yourself. 
God loves you. Are you not a piece of it? A friend of mine uh, got a text from another friend of mine. And we were talking about it, and um, the text said, you were loved. And I don't know if my friend is alone or if I'm alone in thinking, that's surprising. God absolutely adores you. And to prove it, he says this, he gave his son. Chrysostom says this, for God gave not a servant or an angel or an archangel, but his son. Again, he had many sons. If he had had many sons and given one, this would have been a very great gift. But no, he hath given his one and only begotten son. Any parent in here knows there's no, there's no greater love. I'm pretty sure I've told you this a million times, but it never, it never takes away the truth of it. But when my son was born and I held him for the first time, I remember distinctly there were parts of me that loved this boy that I didn't even know existed. The hugest truth that having a child taught me was that I could love a lot more than I thought I could love. And to think the God of the universe did not spare his one and only son for you and I, that's a massive love. That's a Grand Canyon-sized love. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? I remember we were going across the country. We were moving from here to New Jersey. I know. That's a whole other sermon. But on the way, we, we just thought, hey, we'd swing by the Grand Canyon. And I remember I felt like I was robbing the Grand Canyon because we only had a couple hours to spare. I felt like I needed to sit at the, at the ledge of that to, to soak it in for at least a week to even fathom how big and how wide and how deep it is. If us, if we, on a regular basis, sat at the edge and just basked and gazed and lost ourselves in the truth that the Almighty God loves us, we'd be different. Um, and then everyone who believes everyone and then 
what do you get? You get eternal life. And this is why I mentioned kingdom of God before. Commentators think that this is Paul's term for the kingdom of God. This is Paul's putting, uh, not Paul's, John's. This is John's way of Jesus' invitation to enter into the kingdom of God. Because his term isn't just when he, when he, in the Greek, when he uses uh, eternal life. That's just, that's not a quantitative, that's not only a quantitative word, that's a qualitative word. Like real life. Life of substance, life that has anchors, life that has roots, life that doesn't sway, life that, in the words of the almighty, uh, not the almighty, but the, uh, the amazing theologian Prince, the electric, it's an electric word, life. Electricity, it invigorates. Jesus is inviting anyone everyone to simply believe and he goes on to verse 17 and note that the world and everyone in it we learn here in verse in 17 it needs not just scolding but it needs saving One commentator put it, the church needs to put down that big stick of fear and woo people. Woo people into the invitational life of this God that doesn't come down like a, like a hammer, but instead invites Invites like a, a loving person would invite to a party or something exciting or something good, right? What is that for you? What is it that you love to invite people to? Shout out something. Does anybody have anything? I can't hear anybody. I, this is a t- dinner. dinner, food. Absolutely. That's the best answer I've, I've ever heard. No, it's not. But it, Jesus is the best answer. You're wrong. I'm just kidding. Food. Food, totally. I, when my wife starts describing something, I want to eat it. <laughs> the moment she starts describing it, even if it's got healthy stuff, that's that's a, that's a huge statement for me. Me, it's concerts. Me, it's like anything live music, and I know Dusty's the same with me, right? Dusty's his light, his eyes light up and say, "Hey, come, let's go, let's go to a show." God did not come here to condemn it; He came to fix it. This isn't a damnation plan it's a rescue plan it's interesting he says this but then he he goes into judgment right 
What happened to the deep wide of love and grace in verses 18 through 20? Right? This was unlocked also as I was, I was studying for this sermon. Much like the kingdom of God and the eternal life is qualitative now. Now is a holy, now is holy ground in the gospel of John. Verses 18 through 20 are really about urgency. Are really about you can't put this off. Eternal life starts now or judgment starts now. This isn't for some future date. This is now. The moment is here. That's what 18 through 20 are. He says this. Look at, look at those verses. He gets, makes it very personal. And notice, I looked in the Greek. The word condemnation, judgment, is crisis. What is that? That's crisis. It's crisis time. Okay, in verses 18, he says the crisis. Look at that. The crisis is those who believe, those who simply believe the gift, the gift giver, and this time of giving that God has prepared Jesus himself, those people, the crisis is over. Those people that ignore it, that's the crisis. The crisis is you're ignoring it. I read, Bruner says this, condemnation, moreover, is no longer just a future threat. It is depending on one's trust, a dangerously personal reality now. In verse 19, it's personal and it's critical. It's urgent. We have seen the light. Oh, this is Brunner talking. We have seen the light that, be, that came blazing into the world and we turned our backs. This is damnation. Do you catch that? This is damnation. The fact that when he mentioned in John 1, the light showed up and the world did not know it and even more that it didn't want to know it, that's the judgment. That's the condemnation. That's the crisis. And then his third warning in verse 20. I actually love this one. <laughs> hey, it, 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 I, Malia's, if you were to, uh, anyway, I don't want to throw you under the bus, but her biggest criticism of me is when I'm really harsh on you. And when I say, you guys need to get better at loving each other. You guys are the reason nobody believes. <laughs> you guys, because there's partial, you know, like there's there's truth in the statement, you know, like uh, what's that guy's name? 
Brennan Manning, he goes, you know, like, uh, the reason why non-Christians remain non-Christians is because of Christians. <laughs> you know, and there's truth to that, right? A lot of the, a, a, a lot of what we, we're hypocrites. But this verse 20 is one of those rare moments where Jesus kind of says, but it's not all your bad. Bruner puts it really well again. He says this. Often we, we know, she, the church, is herself at fault. But surely as often the fault is immoral lives, hatred of exposure. This verse can both indict the world and encourage the church. The verse helps to explain the world's sometimes almost pathological detestation of the Christian message and community. Do you follow that? I have a really good friend out in Texas. Well, now he's in Milwaukee. He moves around just like I do. But now he's a head pastor. We were both college pastors about a decade ago. But he would, I would consistently complain to him. I'm like, dude, why are we voting for this such and such? Why is this not happening in the politics? Why is this blah, blah, blah? And he would consistently straighten me out and say, Jason, why would you expect the world not to be the world? Snap out of it. This is still not the kingdom triumphant. Jesus isn't on the throne for all of eternity. He's on the throne of our lives and we're wheat among weeds, but the weeds are still there. And this is a dark, dark place. And the encouragement that Jesus says right at the end, and it's actually still the Nicodemus, is this place is still going to get rocky, messy, and all kinds of crazy. There's still going to be, like, people mad rushing the White House. There's still going to be people looting whenever there's people making parade like uh, you know like social protests there's going to be people that are evil and they look for windows to go through to tear apart goodness and that's uh, that's strangely comforting to me and it also just knocks me back into this real picture Jesus consistently, he doesn't describe some pie in the sky. He never, he never falsifies anything. He never glazes over anything. He, he says straight out, you follow me, it's going to get costly and the world is going to be against you. But then right at the end, he, he challenges us each. And what does he say? I've got to find what he says. Did I eat the piece of paper? Where did it go? 
Well, there it is. It's just smaller than the other ones. Thank you for your patience. Apparently, to Jesus, truth is a way of life and not just a way of thinking. He says, do the truth. Do the truth, ladies and gentlemen. He says it to Nicodemus and it spills over onto us. Do the truth. What does that mean? Augustine just says, doing the truth means confessing. Be quick to confess you're in the wrong and God is in the right. How do we apply any of this? How long have we been talking? Oh my gosh, we've been talking a long, long time. Do you guys need to stand up and stretch out? You do. Stand up, stretch out. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, okay? We're going long because it's a lot. And we're going long because it's important, right? All right, you can sit that down. Sorry, sorry about that. That's wonderful. How do we apply any of this? God absolutely loves and adores you. Soak that in. Seep that in. Sw- swim around in it. But what, what happens when you really realize it? If there's nothing, ro- if, if there's nothing wrong with you, you're going to start loving people the way God has loved you. Amen? And I, I've been... I've been wrestling with this. The world is hurting. The world is hurting on a level and it seems like it's, it's bigger than it's ever hurt, right? I think, I think that a real application is meet me here tomorrow at 8.30 in the morning and let's walk around this this building, maybe even the neighborhood, and start praying about how do we, the church, love this world that is going through this pandemic? What are we called to next? And I think, it, I think it's going to start with us praying. And if you can't make it over here, and if it's pouring rain, pray. Pray wherever you're at, because it's not location, location, location. It's God, God, God. It's still the same God, right? And so we, we, we start asking, how can we, like pragmatically, how can we help this world that millions have lost their jobs? Millions are in a new place of hurting that they've never felt. Millions have had to look through a window as someone they know and loved very much died because of this pandemic, and they couldn't be there because it was a pandemic. It was a COVID-19 thing. How do we love that? Because we are loved by the God who loves this much, right? What's another application? Do the truth. Do the truth. We've got to confess to one another and we need to confess fast.
But then another thing we need to bask in this truth of this reality. That this place is messed up still. But King Jesus will equip us. And our eternal life starts the moment we say, be the Lord of our, my life. Let me pray. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for sending your one and only son for each and every one of us. I pray that you would equip us and help us to love as you have loved. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Now, this part of the service where I get to update everyone the last couple weeks. Our tithes and offerings were... $18,000, $8,000, and nine cents. (laughs) That's awesome. Do you remember I was like getting all crazy about like 50 cents and 25 cents? Somebody upped the game. Nine cents. That's A plus. Anyway, I'm just excited about those nine cents. And I'm excited that we're on this journey and you men and women are taking seriously getting involved by tithing and giving your offerings. Um, Now's the part of the service where we invite us, everyone, man, woman, and child, to get involved in the adventure of, of this local outpost by giving your tithes and offerings. If you're at home, listen to the podcast. You mail it to Presbyterian Church of the Covenant. P.O. Box 2128, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And if you're here, you leave it in one of the, pl- in the plates on your way out. Um, but our tithes and offerings are now received.
like a hurricane I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions afflict by glory grace in his eyes grace is an ocean we're all sinking so heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss and my heart turns violently inside of my chest and I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way he loves us oh Because of God's great, great love for us, because of all he's done for us, we can so easily approach that throne of grace with our concerns, our prayers, and our requests. Please pray with me. Almighty God, in Jesus Christ, you taught us to pray and to offer our petitions to you in his name. Guide us by your Holy Spirit, that our prayers may serve your will and show your steadfast love. Make us discontent when we offer less than our full selves to you. 
Teach us that all of life is our offering to you, our skills, our intelligence, our capacity for love and compassion, our whole being. Teach us that every day's activities can be holy, that all of life can be beautiful. Fill us this day with gratitude for the many blessings with which we have been surrounded. Make us also grateful for your greatest gift, your presence with us in times of both happiness and sorrow. We pray for our nation and the role we perform as citizens. Help us to take responsibility for our actions. We pray for the leaders of our country and other nations as well. Give them a sense of humility amid the powers they exercise. Give them respect for one another so that all your people can dwell in the hope that peace can prevail. As Irish people celebrate St. Patrick's Day this week, we all recall the lands of our heritage and the people and places that have shaped our lives. And we give thanks for your care and your leading of us through generations. We continue to pray for the immunizing and protection of our nation against the coronavirus. Bring health and well-being to our communities and families. We pray for those for whom we are concerned. We pray not just for those we know and love, but for those who are strangers to us. We pray for their well-being. We pray for courage when there is fear, knowledge where there is ignorance, wholeness where there is brokenness. We pray for those here and those who cannot be with us who are in need, those in need of companionship, of healing, of reassurance, or of a reason for living. We pray for those who are in need of prayer, that they may not bear their burdens alone. Be with us all, and especially those we name silently at this time. And we pray in gratitude for your healing touch. We pray that we look out this morning and we see Bob, we see Donna restored to our worshiping community, and we give you thanks for their healing. Empower us to help, to be your touch, your hands, your arms, your love, that all may know you are with them. God of glory, as we await your new creation, we trust that you will answer our prayers with grace and fulfill your promise that all things work together for good for those who love you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Is this thing on yet? All right, please stand for receive this morning's benediction. And uh, that was like six sermons in one sermon, right? But one of the sermons I was talking about, grab your nose, and it was German. And uh, just every once in a while, grab your nose. And just remember, you're one of those ones. You're part of the world. You're a piece of that world that God so loved that he gave his one and only son for. Um, yeah, I can't wait to be back. And thank you again for sticking around even a little late this morning. Um, know that you're loved also by this pastor, this guy, this big hairy white guy up here. All right. Receive this morning's benediction. This comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and, our, and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every deed and word. May it be so. Amen.